Hello everyone, welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Akash, you can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And I'm Ian, and you can find me at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. Awesome. We're here to break down week eight, look at some trends throughout the season, go through our process on how we're evaluating all these players or halfway through the season, so we have some good data points on how to evaluate and looking at the rest of the season values, how you should value these players, and also Dynasty values. Starting off with the Thursday night game, uh, Green Bay Packers versus Arizona Cardinals. No Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard, no Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So Aaron Jones had a good target share. Um, Amari Rogers, the Packers' third-round rookie, wasn't very involved. He had less snaps than um, Winfrey, than Equinemius St. Brown, and Randall Cobb. So if he can't even get on the field while the three main wide receivers are out, I'm not sure how he can get on the field for the rest of the season when they're back. It's not a great outlook for him. He'll probably end up as a face planner, like even from his low ADP entering the season, but it's a tough situation. Uh, Robert Tunyon is done for the year with an ACL injury. In his stead, we saw some work for Josiah DeGuerra, the Packers third round tight end from last year, and Dominique Daphne, really slim pickings here at tight end. You could throw some fab at one of them, especially if you're in a really if pretty much only if you're in a really deep league with uh probably with tight end premium or two tight end leagues just because if they're on the field a lot and see some decent targets they they could have some value but probably low outcomes uh aaron Rodgers is a low qb1 for the rest of the season there's mediocre volume high efficiency little rushing so yeah i think he's a good sell in dynasty especially if you're not contending just because you're not going to get elite production and he's Obviously, an old quarterback who's who might very well end up on a new team next year. So I, I would sell Rodgers if I'm not contending. Or even if I am contending, I can make a lateral move to similar production. I'd be fine with that. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a sell for a while. Last yeah. year, he, had, he was insanely good. It was one of the best seasons of his career. And so it was kind of expected that it would go down. And then minus the Konami code, which obviously limits the upside. And then this year, he's he's still good. He's still Aaron Rodgers, but he's not putting up the numbers of last year. But I think when we see him most likely switch teams, I do think that kind of helps the value, which in that case, he'll still be a sell. So I think he'll be sell for a while. Yeah, it makes sense. You could pivot to uh, maybe Mac Jones. We'll get into him later. But you can also pivot to Tua Tungvaloa, Zach Wilson. I'm fine with those moves. Those are some moves. Also, Derek Carr, who's uh, you're getting from like – low QB1 production to decent QB2 production, but you're also getting a lot lower. I don't know what people think about Carr's job security, but you can get like a really sizable plus uh, in addition to that. I'm fine with that. Then on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I'm fine with all those moves for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Looking at Arizona uh, with a hobbled Hopkins who didn't get on the field much because of a hamstring injury, we did see A.J. Green kind of alpha. He had a 25% target share, which – it was funny. He wasn't very efficient last year, but he still earned targets, and we know that targets are earned. So he was actually someone that I ended up scooping like basically for free on a few teams, and it's just kind of that free production. I mean, it's never going to be great, but the he's can easily do games like this, especially without Hopkins, so that was good to see. Uh, Edmonds had good usage. He, he's always going to have good usage because he's a running back that gets targets, but we did take see him take a total of 61.1% of the ops, and he had a touchdown, so... That was really good to see. This was Kyler Murray's worst passing game of the year. He had a PFF grade of 66. But, again, it's Kyler Murray, and he's been one of the best passers 
through uh, eight weeks in the entire league. So definitely nothing. And it actually just speaks to how much of a cheat code he is that he's such a good passer. And yet we know him because, or we love him because he uses his legs and he's just such a cheat code at the Konami quarterback. And then I just want to hit on Rondell Moore real quick, just looking at him. So he was, he was a solid prospect and he's probably good at football. He has a good target share right around where we expect from, I have him as an upside beta. Uh, I know he's a bulletproof prospect, which means he's probably pretty good at football. And he's sitting right around where you expect betas uh, to be their first year, right around that 15, 16. He's got a 14.6% target share in the year. The only thing is his ceiling, like I talked to Akash about, is probably really low because he has an dot of 1.5, which is pretty much a running back. So he's probably pretty good at football. The thing is, it's just he's getting his targets through a lot of scheme touches, hence such a low A dot. For Rondell Moore, he's good on like a per route basis. So I think they do want to get him involved. When he's on the field, he's getting good usage, just like screens, tap passes. It's, you know, like LaVisca Chenault. I know Visca's A dot was higher in his rookie year, but it, it's a tough situation because when you're having so many scheme touches, your fantasy football output is more so at the like the whim of the coach so it, it hurts his ceiling definitely but i wouldn't uh sell him until at least at the till the end of the season just because you could hold him you could see his uh usage increase throughout the year you could see his snaps increase throughout the year it's no no there's really no reason to sell a rookie who we had as good prospect entering the season has has a good start to the season there's no reason to sell him before the end of the season at least yeah i agree with you he's definitely just a hold right now it's i'm not selling him or i'm not buying him but yeah and then the uh carolina panthers game sam darnold had a pff passing grade this week of like 81.7 but generally uh it's been a bad season for darnold he's just been poor all year since the hot start Left with a concussion, but P.J. Walker is not a very good option either. Regardless of QB, D.J. Moore, uh, the, like the breakout is being halted no matter which QB, just because the QB play has been so bad. But he still has a 30% target share on the year, which is definitely elite. And situ- we know the situation is fluid. And if you can buy off of a few down games, it's definitely something you should try to do just because the target share is elite. Like he has an elite yards per run of 2.1 yards per team pass attempt of 2.25. So definitely, if you can buy him lower than what he was like after his hot start, then you should try to. And also, his price point relative to uh, his price point in the market right now is probably lower than what we think it is. Like he could easily be in the tier of uh, AJ Brown or DK Metcalf if he had a better QB or a better offense. Yeah. I agree with you there. I mean, DJ Moore is someone who you're basically always buying because he's he's down in value because of his situation, which is usually some, especially at his age at 24, something we're always taking advantage of. I mean, to eat a third of the targets last week is pretty much pretty crazy. Like every third pass is thrown to DJ Moore, which is which just is insane. That's just that's points. That's I would also um, float a second for Terrace Marshall. I know he's, he's hurt right now. He wasn't a great prospect coming into the year, but the upside is there as an alpha. Uh, you can sell at the end of the year. If he face plans, you could sell at the end of the year for a second, which is what you're buying in for now. So I don't hate the price, even if his price has been falling last uh, few weeks, just because he's not producing and he's hurt, which never helps. But there's still upside. I would float a second, see what I could do. Yeah, and then looking at Atlanta in this game, uh, I did want to hit on first. There's 
obviously the thing that happened with Calvin Ridley. Hopefully he comes out okay and feeds his demons. But in terms of fantasy football, uh, Kyle Pitts on the season has an 18.7% target share. And then Ridley hasn't played in two games this season. And in those games, uh, Kyle Pitts has a 21.6% target share and a 22.2%, which especially for a rookie tight end is really freaking good. So it's kind of wheels up for Kyle Pitts from here on out. Um, I know that Drew has made the point that it's going to be really hard or really still pretty easy to acquire Kyle Pitts. But I think with Ridley out and if Pitts continues to do what he does, it's going to be pretty near impossible to actually get your hands on Pitts without giving up loads of draft capital for him. So it's kind of wheels up from Pitts from here on out. And it's still such a high passing uh, volume offense. I think there are about 38 pass uh, attempts per game, which is extremely healthy. And especially if he's eating those targets, it's something you absolutely love at the tight end position, not to even include that he's a rookie. And then we got good usage from both uh, Mike Davis and Cordell Patterson. Mike Davis had 51.7% of the ops and 22.2% of the targets. And then Patterson was 48.3% of the ops with 18.5% of the targets. So, both really good usage for both players. Uh, Davis has had pretty good usage uh, throughout the year. It just hasn't come in terms of fantasy production. So it was good to see this last week. And then Russell Gage this week, even without Calvin Ridley, had what I like to call the Tony Snell line. He had 67.9% of the snaps, good for zero targets. Just out there running around. Yeah, and then um, instead it was Tajay Sharp who benefited. Like I know they put uh, Stefan Gilmore on Cal Pitts, and that, I guess, freed up Tajay Sharp, who had a 22% target share. He's probably on waiver wires everywhere, even in Dynasty. So I'd uh, throw some fab out there, see what I can uh, get him for, just because no, no Ridley. Don't know when he'll be back, but uh, he takes all the time he needs. But in, in his stead, I think you can see Tajay Sharp out there, like, in, even in two wide receiver sets, which definitely helps. And then uh, in the next game, the Dolphins versus the Bills. In their games together, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker have the same amount of targets, but Parker also has an dot of 12, where Waddle has an dot of 6. Uh, it, I think Waddle remains a sell, and you can sell him for guys like Deontay, Higgins, and you can still buy Devontae Parker for really cheap. Right now, like, Waddles, like it's it's same thing as like Levishka and all rookie season where there's uh eight out problems except Waddles of Beta who is a lot higher price, which makes him like definitely a sell for me. And Devontae Parker's still producing pretty well, even as a player that a lot of people wrote off after this year. Two has been de- decent and there's decent volume. So I think he can be high QB two or a low even a low QB one just because uh, touchdown variants. Gaskin without Malcolm Brown has has a good opportunity share of sixty two percent, and on the year is like he has fifty fifty percent of the running back carries and a thirteen percent target share. And if you want a like a comparison to like what to expect, just look at twenty twenty Miles Gaskin because he had pretty much the exact same usage, which leads to RB two numbers. So that's decent for the rest of the season. He's an RB two, but. I think they do end up uh, finding like a better running back either in the draft or free agency after this year. And um, still, I'm still buying Fuller for like a third. Yeah, I like that buying Willer, uh, Will Fuller and Devonte Parker, especially Devonte Parker. I've, I've kind of been kind of vocal about buying him because everyone likes to talk about the wide receiver one on a team like should boost them because he's the best they have. But that just didn't seem to get through for Devonte Parker, who 
is Miami's leading target receiver, and he's being valued on keep trade cut as wide receiver 73. I mean, to me, that's just free production, especially for the price you'd have to pay to get a wide receiver 73 is pretty much a draft pick of someone who will likely not produce ever, and we know Devontae Parker's producing right now. And then as far as Buffalo in this game, uh, Kosh has been kind of banging the Zach Moss drum relative to Singletary, and this was definitely a game that you love to see for Zach Moss. Uh, 65.2% of the ops, including 17.1% target share, which is just really good to see, especially because we know Zach Moss gets the red zone work. And then as far as passing in this game, it was, it was kind of a weird distribution. We saw Cole Beasley with a 31.7%, Diggs 17.1%, and Sanders 9.8%. Uh, so it was a little interesting to see that disparity, I guess. But Diggs is still Diggs. He's going to have a 25% target share, maybe higher at the end of the year. And then just hit on Josh Allen real quick, who's currently the QB1 in points per game. Uh, last year, his PFF passing grade was 89.8, which was a crazy step up from the abysmal first two years he had. So taking a step back was probably pretty likely in the passing game. And he did. 89.8 last year, 80 right now through eight weeks. But it really doesn't matter because the offense is good. He's clearly got the Konami code. And so, yeah, he's still the QB1 in points per game. And I actually also think he's now uh, keep trade cut QB1, which is really interesting to see. Yeah, he is. That's crazy. But uh, yeah. Who would have thought coming into the year by week eight we would have uh, Josh Allen as the QB1 in value, would have not Christian McCaffrey as the RB1 in value, and not Justin Jefferson in the wide receiver one in value. It's crazy. A lot of parity, especially in Dynasty. But – I don't know. Um, I haven't exactly been like banging the Zach Moss drum. My take all year has been um, that they're seeing like equal work in the rushing game and the receiving game, but Zach Moss is a lot better because he sees the red zone work. But in this last game, uh, Moss had double the routes, which led to increased usage in the receiving game. So if that continues to hold, then you're seeing like him clearly being the favorite there, and you end up as a RB2, but they're a team that passes uh, a lot, which leads to little little rushing, but targets are more valuable, and they're also a good offense, so at least the touchdowns. So Zach Moss is a fine, like, weekly starter. I have him on some zero RB teams, which works fine. It's just, like, hope, to, for, hope for 10 points per game, and that's what he's getting pretty much. Then, moving on to the next game with the San Francisco 49ers versus Chicago Bears. Elijah Mitchell dominating the rushing game, and Hasty is their receiving back. Trey Sermon still not doing anything. I, I was telling people to like sell low after the first couple games, but now Hasty on the year has a 13% target share, and Elijah Mitchell in every single one of his healthy games has like 17 to 20 carries, which is good. But Elijah Mitchell, he's like Damian Harris in that he's good at rushing, but there's little receiving. And the 49ers system in general doesn't pass a lot to the running backs. And when they do, it seems to be Jermichael Hasty. So I'm fine with pivoting off of Elijah Mitchell just because we also know that um, that day three running backs and undrafted free agents, uh, Mitchell drafted in round five. We know they don't have as much job security just because we like if you do like look at case by case basis, we see these kind of guys get replaced quicker, like a guy like Marlon Mack. For example, or like Philip Lindsay, they get replaced more quicker. So it's not, it doesn't mean anything for like this year or maybe even next year. But in the long term, I don't think uh, we could see Elijah Mitchell not be there running back in 
two to three years, maybe. And then Brandon Ayuk had more routes than Debo Samuel, which is interesting with like one route difference, but he had 26% target share, which is good to see. If he can bounce back well, he can be a solid option, even if Debo remains their wide receiver one. And Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer an average QB. People are talking about like, he's just an average game manager who will lead them to wins. He's not average anymore. He's well below average. He's 25th in completion percentage over expected. 28th in PFF passing grade. I don't know if they're going to go to Lance, but I don't see how Lance can be much worse than Jimmy Garoppolo's at passing. And we know he's a good rusher. Yeah, and it was really good to see Ayuk with a 25.9% target share. That was kind of what we've been waiting for. Uh, as far as Chicago and their weird target share, in Week 8, Mooney had a 33.3% compared to A-Rob's 14.8%. And on the season so far, Mooney's looking at a 26.1%, which is alpha range. A-Rob looking at 21.7%, which is beta range. So it's really weird to see that they're they're still kind of flipped. I'm surprised. Since I last talked about it, I think the, the gap in target share has actually gotten a little wider when I was expecting it to nearly flop or flip. So it's, it's pretty weird to see. Um, I think I was a little too low on Mooney coming into the season. I think he's a pretty good beta. I don't think... He's a beta that produces like an alpha, like he is right now in terms of target share. Obviously, he's not in fantasy production just because this offense is a joke. But it's it's one of those really weird thing to uh, weird things to see. Uh, Khalil Herbert, eighty nine point three percent of the ops with a seven point four percent target share. I mean, talk about Herbert in terms of he's not going to have these crazy ops, and he's really not, and that's pretty much just what makes him relevant because he's not catching a ton of passes. He's catching passes because he has such a high snap share and an opportunity share because he's always in. But David Montgomery is going to come back. David Montgomery is the one with the draft capital. He's the one that's been there. So I'm seeing kind of some crazy, crazy Khalil Herbert takes about how he's like a rookie RB three or RB two. And it's, it's pretty insane to me because he will not have close to this ops when David Montgomery returns or Damian Williams is fully integrated. I mean, Khalil Herbert might still be someone, but he's not someone who's you're going to want to plug into your fantasy lineups after Montgomery comes back. And then Justin Fields, 65.7 PFF grade, second best of the season. The thing about these rookie quarterbacks is you don't really want to get a feel or like try to dissect too deep until the end of the season because we know it takes rookies a little while. So we're kind of just monitoring, I would say. Um, I really don't feel any different than I do with Fields um, at the beginning of the season, minus if he would have just completely blown up, I would have. But he's just producing like an all right rookie quarterback, which I don't know. I'm not going to take too much away from these rookie quarterbacks after eight weeks. Yeah, I definitely agree there. I don't have much to add. I mean, Right now, Robinson and Mooney's like keep track cut value is are right next to each other, which makes for an interesting debate. But if Mooney can continue to uh, have this kind of target share, like a twenty six percent target share, what's keeping his price down is the fact that the volume is just horrible for the whole team, and he's still valued at wide receiver thirty nine on keep trade cut. So it could make for an interesting buy angle, but uh, it's it's really if you want to sell like an older decently productive veteran for like Darnell Mooney plus I'm I'm fine with that like a guy like Tyler Lockett if you really want to rebuild that's a it's an okay guy to target there's other guys to target in that range like Marshall uh, Jacoby Ayuk but he's a, a fine target if no one bites on the other guys then um the next game the Steelers versus the Browns Deontay Johnson's fifth in expected points per game and he has a 30% target share 
he'll be a low wide receiver one for the rest of the season with wide receiver two pricing on keep your cut, which makes him a buy. I like him more than Judy, Godwin, Waddle, and Smith. We're all in like the same range as him. Najee uh, Harris has 21.7 weighted opportunities per game, which is absolutely elite. Like Justin Redraft, he's a high RB1 for the rest of the season, but in Dynasty, I would still pivot to Jonathan Taylor or Swift. And if I'm looking to rebuild, I would move away from running backs entirely and flip them for Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase. But he's still a high RB1, Justin Redraft. Like his efficiency is, is decent, it's fine. We can dissect it throughout the season, but I would pivot away to those other four guys in Dynasty. Claypool has a 21% target share, 36% of the air yard share, which is fine. His price hasn't fallen a ton, so I would just hold him. I don't know if he's like a firm buy. Just got to think Deontay is uh wide receiver one of this offense. And Pat Fryer, it's turning into an interesting option. He can be a tight end two for the rest of the season, but I'm still expecting a split with Eric Ebron and routes when Eric Ebron eventually gets back. Yeah, that's a good way to put all that and big ben's just really bad uh looking at uh offensive end passing grade he's the only person that's been worse than him at the quarterback position this year is justin field so not great to see but it is great to see if you own basically any of the other uh pittsburgh assets minus deontay because big ben will hopefully be gone next year and he's just not not helping this offense it's a really high volume um like at cleveland there's no passing volume, unlike Pittsburgh. Uh, Baker Mayfield on the year, 29.1 pass attempts per game. That's less than 30. That's abysmal. And that makes everyone except for Nick Chubb, who doesn't catch passes, less relevant. And then looking at this last week, Odell, which is w- one target, which is crazy to me. I mean, people are saying Odell's fallen off. Odell's done. But we know Odell's still 28 years old. He's produced elite target shares and numbers every year of his career. Um, he still has an 18 plus percent target share on the entire year. So, and that's including this one target game. That's very weird. So as, as much as people probably hate it, uh, Odell is still someone that I'm buying, especially with how cheap he is. You literally have to go to the second page of wide receivers on keep trade cut just to find him. So he's someone I'm buying because elite talent at 28 years old in a crummy situation is usually the type of guys that you want to target and it's never going to be sexy. So. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, like, the Kevin Stefanski offense, I saw this uh, stat on Twitter earlier today, how when he was with the Vikings, they were 29th in targets to wide receivers, and last year they were 26th in targets to wide receivers, and this year they're 29th in targets to wide receivers. And you look what happened to Stefan Diggs, like, the second he left the Kevin Stefanski offense, and he blew up in Buffalo. I'm not saying that uh, OBJ is definitely going to blow up, if or when he leaves the Kevin Scavancy offense. But this does feel like it's a situational floor and people's opinions are at a floor. So I'm definitely buying OBJ out. what will probably be his floor unless he is completely falling off, in which case you probably didn't pay a lot to get him anyways. I had a, a deal earlier where I was just talking to someone. It hasn't been accepted yet, but I said, I'll give you Carlos Hyde in the third. He's like, okay, yeah, po- possibly, possibly. But that's just uh, where people are on him, where they're super, super low. And I'm just going to be buying a lot this week. In the next game, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Detroit Lions. Really just a weird game in general just because the Eagles ran it a ton. They had uh, 37 carries to like 16 pass attempts, which is weird, especially in a blowout. You don't expect the team blowing out to end up like rushing so much to start the game and end the game. 
technically Gainwell had the most carries, but that's just uh, just probably like a meme, just because he saw all of his carries except one in garbage time after Scott and Howard got pulled. For which one's the RB1? I would go with Boston Scott just because he saw like seven or eight carries before Howard saw any. He started the game. Um, but it's really a fluid situation because they're all backup running backs. Devontae Smith is still seeing like a 23% target share. Really just a copy of Jerry Judy's rookie year, and he'll end up like he'll end the season as like a wide receiver three or four, but his price on keeper cut will end up as a wide receiver two. And then Goddard had 89% route participation. He's been seeing like elite uh, deployment while without Ertz. So definitely a guy that I'm still holding, not looking to sell him just because the uh, the that kind of deployment gives you a good ceiling. Yeah, that's definitely fair. It was kind of a crummy game, especially from Detroit's perspective, uh, which Hawkinson was good. He had a 34.4% target share, 2.62 yards per team attempt. Those are both elite numbers. And then Swift, who everyone was kind of like dogging on this game. There was no Jamal Williams. He's supposed to go off, but he had 73.9% of the ops and a 15.6% target share, which is really, really good usage. That's RB1 usage right there. It's just that this offense was really just so bad, including all of these wide receivers who just are so bad. Week in and week out, it's kind of like someone new stepping up, and then the next week that person who stepped up has like a 3% target share, like, it was Khalif Raymond who fell off this week. It was Amon Ross St. Brown who saw like 15% target share this week. So, I mean, not a betting man, but that'll probably swap next week. Uh, and then Goff is one reason why this offense has just been abysmal. He's having his worst season since his rookie year where he's having a 64 PFF passing grade, which is just brutal. That ranks 26th out of all quarterbacks in the NFL. So, brutal. Yeah, for um for Swift and Jamal, like people don't like the dynamic of the offense. When Jamal leaves, it's Swift who has to like play both roles of like the guy who just takes halfback dives up the middle for three yards and also the receiving back. So definitely that doesn't help Swift at all. Like having a guy like Jamal Williams, having a guy like Mark Ingram helps these guys like Kamara and Swift, but like Swift, also when you get pulled before garbage time, when the game enters garbage time so early, it doesn't help a guy who sees a lot of targets in garbage time like DeAndre Swift. But it is it is what it is. Just going forward, I'm not expecting anything different from DeAndre Swift. Just a continuous high RB1 production. In the next game, the Titans versus the Colts. So unfortunately, no Derrick Henry moving forward. The injury is potentially season-ending. He could return for the fantasy football playoffs or the NFL playoffs, but... We'll, we'll have to see what happens. They signed Adrian Peterson, a 36-year-old, who will be like the two-down grinder. We'll, and you'll see some Jeremy McNichols mixing in or on third down. He's a decent pass catcher from what we've seen throughout the season. I throw some fab at both of them just because of opportunity. But McNichols probably added just throw decent. Like throw an okay amount of fab at Peterson. Just know what you're getting of like 10 to 12 carries and little targets, but without them, like a big beneficiary is probably AJ Brown, because when you move away from uh, running the ball so much, when your running back goes down, you'll see more passing volume in general, which means he doesn't have to be as efficient. And if he continues to be efficient, like he's seen a 33% target share since he's returned from his injury, which is absolutely insane. 26% target share on the year. So he can be like, he has a, a lot higher ceiling, especially if Julio remains out with a hamstring injury 
and stays limited all year or something. Yeah, and I do think that with Henry out, we might finally see that Tennessee passing volume raise a little bit, which is something we've been waiting to see with a guy like A.J. Brown, who's just elite talent. So it should be pretty exciting to see that, hopefully. Uh, looking at uh, Indianapolis here, Michael Pittman with a 31.3% target share. He's looking like a younger Cortland Sutton, where he's a low-ceiling alpha prospect. He's kind of meh year one, but there's still there's still upside in him, and then he, he hits the upside kind of like Cortland Sutton did. The only thing is we're seeing everyone overreact to it. I think Pittman's a good receiver, but at wide receiver 14 on keep trade cut, that's a little too steep when the options that are behind him in value are probably better options, to be honest. So anything where you could trade Pittman to get like a Hagen's plus or like trade him to get like Sutton plus plus, like I'm, I'll definitely jump all over that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in this game are uh, on the season, 59.7% of the ops, 10.3% of the target share. Good for RB seven, which I see a lot of people complaining about the usage, but that's, that's pretty good usage. And for his target share, that's, exactly where Adam projected. Adam at that Adrian Peterson, Ezekiel Elliott year two target share where they're not some big receiving back, but they're so good that they get in the game and that they can do a lot with the with targets. So it was it's not really a shock to see it raise, but I think people are just getting a little ridiculous with what they want to see because they're just complaining that there's not enough usage out of JT when we're seeing him be a heavily used and his talent takes over with that good usage that he gets. That's why he's RB7. And then looking at Carson Wentz, Last two games, 46.3 PFF, 43.7 PFF passer grade. It's really bad. And then his last two seasons are the worst of his career. So it's pretty sad to see what's going on with Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think he just had a bad game. Like Before that, he had been like perfectly average. Last week, I said like everything between 15 and 19 for his like PFF passing grade. Completion percentage over expected. It it really was a bad game where he had some bad decisions, but... Going forward, I don't expect him. I think he has decent job security. I think he's a good QB, two. Who knows? There's always a potential for the old person who wants to seep back through. He just makes some bad decisions sometimes. Next game, we are just talking about Higgins. In the Bengals versus Jets game, that was a, a very interesting shootout between the best team in the AFC based on record and the worst team in the AFC based on record, or one of the worst. I think the uh, Texans are lower, but... I'm still buying T. Higgins, who has a 26% target share on the year. Joe Burrow is 7th in completion percentage over expected, 8th in PFF passing grade. Rushing is expectedly down. Like Drew said this going into the year because, because of the ACL injury. Next year, you could probably see it be a lot uh, a lot better. Over the last three weeks, there's been way better passing volume. Like There's been ninth in neutral pass frequency. So that's good. If they can let Joe Burrow cook their offense and their fantasy production has such a high ceiling, uh, Mixon's still seeing a lot of the opportunities. Something interesting for Burrow is that both those marks of completion percentage over expected and PFF passing grade are higher than Justin Herbert. And this basically, I think they're like similar age. Age doesn't matter as much for QBs when you're this young, but similar, like just a little bit of added rushing on top. But I posted a poll of Herbert versus Burrow in Dynasty Superflex, and they're, it was 50-50 when I started recording. And they're right next to each other on keep trade cut. I think he's, I think they're both going to be like terrific quarterbacks. But going into the year, no one was as high on Joe Burrow as Drew was. So listen to Drew a lot more just because he gets these things right a lot. Yeah, and maybe more people should listen to Drew because Joe Burrow is really freaking good. And it's true, a lot of people were way too low on Joe Burrow. Um, and I think that's because of how good Herbert was as a rookie. And we saw Joe Burrow get hurt despite being like one of the really, really good rookies. 
you're just comparing it to another really, really historical rookie, really, because quarterbacks aren't supposed to do that in the rookie year. But looking at the Jets here, Mike White was kind of all the hype. And I mean, I saw Sala say like long-term, who knows, but if you, as long as you don't listen to those coach speak and stuff, you should be fine. Like Mike White really wasn't that good. A 64.2 PFF grade and a 4.2 A dot, which is just, it's utterly ridiculous that you're chucking it down all the time. So, which, which kind of goes hand in hand with Michael Carter having really good weeks when Mike White has stepped in and it's causing people to overreact really hard to Michael Carter because now is exactly the time that you, you clearly sell Michael Carter. Um, his target share right now, I believe, is at like 14%. And so I looked at since twenty six or 2017, we have six rookie running backs to post a target share above 12%. And their PFF receiving grade that season, Christian McCaffrey, 82.9. Saquon Barkley, 86.3. Kamara, 91.2. Swift, 69.4. Hines, 77.3. Tariq Cohn, 84.9. And then Michael Carter, who's through eight weeks, he matches that, 55.4. So one of those, Michael Carter, is unlike the rest. And it's probably thanks to Mike White stepping in and having just an abysmally low ADOT. Um, looking at someone you should be buying on this offense, to me, Zach Wilson, because of this Mike White stuff, his key trade cut values dropped a little bit. Between him, Fields, and Lawrence, he so Fields has the worst PFF passing grade of him. Trevor Lawrence has the second worst. And then amongst those three, uh, Zach Wilson has the highest. But when you look at the keep trade cut value, we have Trevor Lawrence at QB8, Justin Fields at QB12, and Zach Wilson at QB20. I mean, I'm not saying Zach Wilson someone that I'd take over those two, but there shouldn't be that wide of a margin. So, I mean, Zach Wilson is someone that I will be looking to buy, depending on how people around my leagues and their mini market are valuing them. Man, if you can trade Tannehill, who we know, like without extreme efficiency, is uh, a QB2 because he doesn't have a lot of volume normally. And even with good efficiency, he's like a low QB1. If you can trade for Zach, him for Zach Wilson, that's a move that I think you definitely should try to make just because they're right next to each other on keep trade cut. Zach Wilson's obviously a, y- a lot younger, and there's a lot of things appreciating his price right now when I don't think it should be appreciated, like you said. Definitely agree. Then, um, good uh, good points. Also, Ty Johnson seeing a lot of target. Like, there, it's not just Michael Carter being a good receiver. Like, he's, he had a good receiving profile coming out of college, but it really is just Mike White just throwing it to the running backs whenever he can, pretty much, and force feeding them volume that has led to the production we've seen over the last few weeks. Uh, if you can get a first out of Carter, definitely something you should try like both years just because the are like getting uh, an rb drafted in day one or two or a wide receiver drafted in round one or two that's what you're going to get or like a qb drafted in round one that's what you're looking for that's what you're going to get even in the class of 2022 that people aren't as high on that's what you're going to get and that's what I'll, I'll take that over michael carter yeah i had someone in my comments on my michael carter thread say they got offered a 2023 first and a 2023 third for Michael Carter, and they were debating it. Don't debate it. Smash it. That. Yeah, that's, that's a really easy one, especially for 2023. Imagine if, like, just by variance, his entire the player who trades his uh, first in 2023, his entire team gets hurt in 2022, and that pick ends up being B. John Robinson. He <laughs> traded Michael Carter for B. John Robinson. <laughs> I knew you were going there the second you started. Imagine just flipping Michael Carter for the chance at B. John Robinson. I know. Just scoop up these B. John Robs and lottery tickets. It's insane. That's a really good deal. Next game, we have the the Rams versus the Texans. Another 
crazy like blowout cup rest of the season is a top two wide receiver he's right there with Devontae adams and like target share they're both really good offenses really good qb play stafford has elite volume uh he's not like a completion percentage over expected god but he's lapping the entire field in expected points added per play i know we don't talk about that as much but it shows just how efficient he is and so with high efficiency he's a high to mid qb1 just because of the insane volume and good efficiency and robert woods getting a bit overshadowed by cooper cup because who isn't a cooper cup is absolutely dominate but robert woods in line with his career averages he's like his uh rams career average he says a 22 percent target share wide receiver two numbers it's um He's not someone like to panic on, even if you're like uh, outside looking and you're probably like, oh, Cup's dominating. He's probably taking over Woods. And now Woods is still himself. Cup just taking from everyone else. Higby's uh, nothing. And Henderson's still seeing the vast majority of opportunities and a really good offense, which leads to RB1 numbers. Yeah, I think you're right on the spot with Cup overshadowing Woods. I mean, I've even heard like, is Van Jefferson taking over the Woods role? No. no. No, not at all. I mean, this last game, they both him and Cup both had a twenty six point five percent target share, and I think we'll see like a lot more of that coming down the stretch the rest of the season because Woods has been someone who gets more targets than Cup year in and year out. So the fact that they were like over ten percent apart not too long ago was and might still be close to that. It's pretty insane, and I think Cooper Cup's probably due for a little bit of regression. I'm not saying he's gonna fall on his back or anything like that, but he's probably not someone who's going to have a 30% target share by the end of the year. Um, yeah, there will could see that. And like uh, the pace for 1900 yards and 20 touchdowns is probably something he doesn't reach. We've been saying that since like week two or three, and it's continued to be the bane of my existence. So I, I'm going to start sneaking in like maybe he continues this, maybe he does, but it's, it's insane. Like the red zone targets are there like you don't get touchdowns without red zone targets it's not like he's scoring 60 or touchdowns every single game so it's not to say that everything like it's not that his touchdowns are going to drop to like two or three touchdowns like for the rest of the season but there's a there's a chance he just has um like low wide receiver one numbers for the rest of the season or like mid wide receiver two numbers which would definitely be a step down from the 25 point 25 26 points per game we're seeing right now yeah i'm with you right there and then Unfortunately, this week, I'm the one that got stuck with Houston. Um, Tyrod Taylor should be back next week is what I'm hearing, which, I mean, he's he's someone I don't mind rostering on contending teams as like a QB3, QB4, because we know he still has, like he rushes, he still has Konami code, even if it's not a very good team. Um, in week eight, not a single player on the Texans had a 17% target share, not even Brandon Cook. So that was really surprising to see, but even more so surprising than that, Everyone is after Mark Ingram got shipped out. There was a lot of Deontay Johnson, like, oh, are we looking at him? Philip Lindsay, are we looking at him? And you're hesitant because they just haven't haven't produced this year, really. And then just to see, look at the opportunity shares. Burkhead, 36.4%. Phillips, 36.4%. And then we find Johnson and Lindsay, who both had a 13.6%. I mean, that's that's just gross. It is gross. I, I was wondering why I don't pay attention to the Texans because I don't know. Who would? But I was wondering why I saw like uh, Scotty Phillips trending on Player Profiler. Now I know why. That does sound absolutely gross. I, I'd be interested to see like when they got all their opportunities. Like, did Phillips get all his opportunities in garbage time, or did Burkhead get all his opportunities in garbage time? Because I know there was a lot of opportunities in garbage time, and that can tell you like what to expect going forward. 
I think we're just exposing ourselves as people that don't watch Houston Texans football. I don't think anyone's going to blame us for that. I think that's, no. that's uh, I think we can just get what we need from the data sheet and don't have to subject ourselves to that. So looking at the, throughout the game, we could see that um, Lindsey and David Johnson started off with some work throughout the game, and then Scotty Phillips got like he got a couple touches in the second and third quarter. And Burkett really did nothing until garbage time. So throw some fab at Scotty Phillips because he might be the RB two or three. Yeah, and I also uh, want to so, point out, like, I, d- I don't think this will hold that D- uh, David Johnson and Lindsey, who've clearly been outproducing Burkett and Phillips the entire year, that doesn't happen. I do think, like, if I were to guess, we just saw Houston ship out Mark Ingram. They're clear sellers at the deadline, and obviously Sunday's game was before the deadline. I, I think, especially when the game just got totally out of hand, it, it wasn't unreasonable to see them take out, like, a David Johnson and a Lindsey because maybe they – at the deadline, they were looking to shop. Maybe that's that's reasonable. That's reasonable. But that game got out of hand very very quickly. Like I think by the um, by the halftime, they had less than a five percent chance of winning, which is just insane because just shows just how bad they bad. were. Just how quickly that game got out of hand. I do think right now, I'll do a little quick ad read, uh, and we'll be right back. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, that's TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN, that's TPPN, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Okay, welcome back. We're going to move on to the next game, which was the Patriots versus the Chargers. Uh, some games, we're seeing J.J. Taylor inactive. Some of the games are seeing Ramondre Stevenson inactive. It's been going back and forth. Not really sure who, but it just, like, it should in- reinforce the uh, faith, the, your faith for Damian Harris, because if they're going to be rotating who the rushing RB2 is, I know Brandon Bowen's like, the receiver there, but if they're going to be rotating who the rushing RB2 is, it really just cements Damian Harris's job, and he's a low ceiling guy just because there's not a lot of receiving work. But he is a good rusher; he could be an RB two. I look to sell him. Like if you're, especially if you're not contending, he's a sell just because if he gets hurt, it tanks his value. RBs get hurt a lot, especially once you see a lot of work. And um, but yeah, they've been the, Damian Harris. Like he was banged up at the beginning of the season, and that led to a lot of passing. But when he's been healthy, they've been they have not been passing a lot. Like weeks five to eight, they were last in neutral pass frequency, which hurts the entire every single weapon except Damian Harris. But Jacoby Myers still has a twenty four percent target share going forward. Like at the beginning of the year, we said he can be like a wide receiver two or like even sneak into wide receiver one range if he continues to see good volume and has touchdown regression. Like that that was when they had a lot more passing going forward. I would expect more like wide receiver two or three numbers. Obviously, touchdown regression just because he's had zero 
career touchdowns, even the, with all the work he's seen. But hey, he he caught a ball. In, he caught a ball in the end zone last week. Two weeks in a row. I think two weeks in a row he's had a two point conversion. But eventually he just has to fall into the end zone. He got taken on a screenplay at the one ones, and it just it broke my heart. He had a touchdown called back because of a holding penalty by the uh, by an offensive lineman. It just continues. I'm gonna be so happy when he scores. Scores though, it's just gonna be everything building up to this one moment. Right now, Mac is a QB two. Like his PFF passing grade is 13th. He's 10th in the completion percentage over expected. Volume is middle of the pack. Obviously, it's been down the last few weeks, but going forward, I it's it's hard to know what to make of Mac Jones just because the ceiling isn't great. Uh, but the floor looks pretty pretty solid. Like if you want Mac as your QB two or three, it's fine. Just don't I, I like even if he's playing better than every other rookie QB right now, I still would take Fields, Lawrence, Lance, and Wilson over him for fantasy football just because the ceiling for those other guys is a lot higher. Yeah, and I do want to like quick point out that you and me were actually involved in a discussion about how Jacoby Myers' uh, targets were just too too low uh, quality to be to be worth much. But if we do look at Mac Jones, who's been good. His eight out the first four weeks, 6.5, 4.6, random 12, and then a 5.5, which is really low. So that's that's a good reason why those targets aren't as high quality. But in the last four weeks, 8, 8.6, 7.6, 9.2. I mean, he's hovering around like right where he should be. He's passing well, like we just talked about. And Jacoby Alpha Myers is still there. He's still got like a 10% target share lead on the next closest guy on the season. So, yeah. I, I still think we're right on there with Jacoby Myers possibly being like a high-end wide receiver too. I don't think that's outrageous at all. Yeah, he'll probably end up with like a wide receiver two or three, obviously, because he's had like, even if he scores like average touchdown numbers the rest of the season, everyone probably gets like a bit of a head start on him in the touchdown scoring department just because he has none leading up to this point. But for the rest of the season, the volume might be like bad to average, which helps like helps a QB if he doesn't have to pass a lot, I guess. But I don't know. It's, it's tough to know what to make of the overall volume just because when Damien Harris hasn't been banged up, they've not been passing a lot. Yeah. And then speaking of ADOT for the Chargers, uh, old Mike Williams is back. So it's not a great thing for fantasy. Uh, the last four weeks, ADOT of 18, 15.5, 16.2, 14. Those are just way too high to be – to be very fantasy relevant, especially with how he started the season. And it was, it was pretty nice to see his a dot was lowered. Like maybe it was a changed role, but no, I mean, Mike Williams, if people are still valuing really high, is, is someone that I'd look to be selling because we've seen these last four games as a dot rise. We've seen the last four years of his career. His a dot is right where it is right now. So I feel much more comfortable saying the first four weeks of the season where it was really good. He had an a dot that we like to see is probably more of the outlier considering his whole career plus the last four weeks are just back to where he was just way too high of an ADOT to be a target hog. Like we want the target hog on this team. And even has been throughout Mike Williams being good is Keenan Allen this last week, a 32.4% target share on keep trade cut. He's still being valued as wide receiver 25. So he's being valued as a high end wide receiver three, which is ridiculous for a guy who could possibly he's got a 25.2% target share in the year. Um, I I don't think it's crazy to say it could be around like 26, 27% by the end of the year. The Chargers throw a lot. They have near 40 uh, pass attempts per game. Like Keenan Allen, especially as a contender, is someone that I'm looking to acquire like all over kind of because 
he's severely undervalued still, which is just crazy from such a prolific, prolific score. I mean, five wide receiver one seasons and he's 29 years old. He's still in that AJ pack. So he's yeah, someone I'm looking to buy. The, the value, uh, the value curve has obviously been hit, but the production curve hasn't, which that makes him a buy just because you want to like these kind of like high wide receiver one producers. If you're not like you could sell them um, at like peak price, like a guy like Devonte Adams right now, who's still valued like top, like he's like wide receiver six or seven on keep your cut. If you sell him now, like if you really need to sell him, sell him now and buy him in two years and they'll get very similar production, but you'll buy him in two years for a lot cheaper price. Yeah, and like the same thing with Keenan Allen. So that's a great point right there. Yeah, and they're then, buying him. Like this is the this is the buy point of Keenan Allen, where you're getting the similar production as two years ago, but for a lot lower price. Yeah, exactly. And he has Justin Herbert throwing to him for a lot of pass attempts. And Justin Herbert, despite his down weeks, has still been really good, even in those down weeks. Like we're calling down weeks two of the three last weeks that are down weeks. 76.3 PFF grade, 71.7 PFF grade. Like, that's still yeah. pretty good, especially for your down weeks. So, yeah, he has a really good quarterback throwing to him, high volume, and he's eating a clear alpha target share. Like, he's definitely someone you should be looking to buy. And then Austin Eckler in this game, great, 75% of the ops, 29.4% target share, uh, high-end RB1 rest of season. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Next game, the uh, Jaguars versus Seahawks. Uh, a weird game where, again, we saw Jamal Agnew and Dan Arnold have more targets than Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault, which is weird, right? But Dan Arnold's deployment has been good. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but saw earlier that his deployment's good. And there's upside because he's lining up like a wide receiver. He's not just like in line or anything. And he's a converted wide receiver. He's athletic. There's decent upside for him. If he can be like, he can even be a top two option in this offense just because LaVisca Chenault is not becoming what I thought he could be. Like right now, he has a 70% target share, low ADOT. He's basically like Debo Samuel of 2020, which isn't great. Like he's not saying that he will become 2021 Debo Samuel. That's like the, like it's highly unlikely that he does. But right now his role isn't fantasy friendly. He's not a top two option in this offense, even over the last few weeks. Jamal Agnew ran more routes to him. It's not to say that LaVisca Chenault is like dead in the water or anything, but you could throw some fab at... Agnew, if Arnold's still on your waiver wires, you could throw some fab at him just because there's some upside just because they're seeing good targets over the last few weeks uh, since DJ Shark got hurt. Trevor Lawrence is getting better and better over the course of the season, as rookie QBs tend to do. And Carlos Hyde saw eight targets in the game where James Robinson left early. You know, talent doesn't – like, he's an okay talent, but talent doesn't really matter for running backs who see opportunities. And he'll see good opportunities as long as James Robinson's out, especially like in their receiving game, because he ran a good amount of routes while James Robinson was out. So I'm fine with um, picking up Carlos Hyde everywhere in like redraft, and he's probably already rostered in Dynasty. Yeah, and then just from this game, as a Seahawks fan, I did want to hit on something that's not fantasy relevant at all, and that's Jamal Adams, because we clearly overpaid for him. It hurts me as a Seahawks fan, but he just had his best game of the year and his best coverage uh grade on pff in a long time so i just wanted to point out that at least that made me happy because we clearly overpaid so hard for him oh yeah there's like three and five right now right that pick could easily end up at the top uh like maybe russ comes back and they probably what do you think they end the season at like nine and nine and ten or something not nine ten like nine and eight eight yeah i don't think that's ridiculous i think we need to get russ back not just for the playoff push but to at least stay out of giving the jets just a top 10 pick i know they're gonna end up with a 
a top 16 pick, I think. Like, I don't yeah, that, that, I mean, that sounds pretty right. But maybe we can get rolling with Russ a little bit. But he probably could sneak into the playoffs just because of the seven spots. So and then get eliminated in the wild card. So Jets get a top uh, top twenty pick, I guess. Yeah, but anyways, back to the back to the Seahawks uh, fantasy football fantasy side. Football, yeah. Uh, as far as Seahawks fantasy side of things, we had a gross opportunity split between Homer Collins and Penny. Twenty one point seven percent op share for Homer. Forty three point five percent for Collins. 30.4% for Penny. And with the possibility that Chris Carson could be done for the entire year, it doesn't look great, but if I had to choose one, it's Alex Collins because he's shown that he can take closer to the lion's share of that opportunity share. And even last week when it was kind of like a gross split, he still ended up with 43.5%, which isn't terrible. But if I had to pick one, it's going to be Alex Collins. Uh, this game, though, lock it with an astounding 59.1% target share. I mean, that's... That's just insane. And it's not like it affected DK, who still ate 27.3% of the targets, which is a clear alpha share. It was just an extremely funneled offense between Lockett and DK with Lockett taking like 60% of the target share, which is just insane. Uh, and then Russ could be back after the buy is what I'm hearing. He got the pin taken out of the hand. So hopefully we see him after the buy because that clearly just elevate this offense a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting. As for uh, for Carson, like these chronic injuries, it's like a neck injury for him, right? Definitely something that like they could just say, they could look at him and say like, "This is gonna affect you for the rest of the season." We'll just maybe I don't know. I don't. I'm not a doctor, obviously, but they could say like, "Shut him down for the rest of the season. Get some get surgery that'll end up having him more useful, like more effective for 2022." But by and large, I think. I, I think that their RB1 for 2022 isn't on the roster right now. I, th- I think they could draft someone. They could get someone in free agency. Like I was saying earlier in the season, before Carson, even before Carson got hurt, I was saying, like, imagine Isaiah Spiller or now with, like, Kenneth Walker's emerge. Imagine uh, drafting them in the second. Obviously, they don't have their first rounder, but if they can get if, – if imagine if they get a guy like that in the second, that would be absolutely insane for fantasy. Next, we got the uh, – Washington football uh, team game against the Denver Broncos. Heineke is still very, very bad. He's like we said last week, playing to the level of the rookies, except he's not a rookie. It's a bad game with by bad game, a bad game by Terry McLaurin standards, but still a buy. Like he had a nineteen percent target share. He's uh, valued at a low wide receiver one on key trade cut, but we know like situation is very fluid. If he can get uh, better QB, like any any upgrade from Taylor Heineke, even an upgrade from Heineke to Fitzpatrick is a decent upgrade. That with his elite target share, like I believe on the season right now, it's like 28, 29. That would put him at, that would put him in conversation for uh, a lot higher upside. And for, as for the RB situation, it was pretty gross. And Antonio Gibson came off the injury report for the first time in a few weeks, which people are excited to see. But then he had less carries than Jarrett Patterson, and McKissick still was the receiver. McKissick had eight targets on a 22% target share, so I'm still looking at him like a good RB2 or 3, depending on, like, touchdown variance will make the difference between an RB2 and an RB3, but it's still, like, he's still a decent, uh, like, plug-in plug in RB2. But there's a little bit of a buy, buy angle for Gibson just because he's everyone knows he's hurt right now, but it's still hurting his price. This thing can affect him for the rest of the season, which obviously no one wants to see. But when he's healthy, he gives a low RB1 or a high RB2 when healthy. Obviously, there's not passing work right now, but uh, 
McKissick is a free agent after the season, so there is upside for him to be a. They could easily uh, extend or resign JD McKissick, but there's there's upside there for Gibson to take over a larger role in the passing department because we know he's a pretty good receiver. Yeah, I won't say I told you so. On Antonio yeah, Gibson. he did. Uh, he did tell us all. I don't um, have him. I only have like <laughs> one share of him or something, but I got that really cheap. So. Yeah, before his value just started like insanely spiking. I saw so him go as RB four in literally one of the startups I did this summer, which is crazy. It was, it was insane, but you know. Yeah, and so, then I'd say this game as a whole was probably one of the grosser games uh, slate from week eight. It was pretty nasty. Uh, mm-hmm. Denver, despite winning, had really low volume, which just hurts everyone. Twenty six pass attempts, just really it's not going to get anything done, especially when Judy, Fant, Sutton all have the same target share. Oh, uh, so did Javante Williams. They all had four targets, uh, good for a 16% target share, which just really doesn't help anyone because it's so low volume and it's so dispersed. It's just really not going to help anyone. I think rest of season, just seeing what we've seen from Denver, it's probably not going to like convert randomly to a high volume pass offense. They'll probably be like 30, 31 pass attempts per game. Not great. Uh, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams will probably continue to be in the 50-50 split. It's hard not to see that. And then just from this game and like what we've seen when they were all there, I think Judy, Fant, and Sutton all probably hover around 20%. I will say Sutton probably is a target leader at the end of the year. I'd, I'd probably put my money on that, but that doesn't mean it's like a sexy situation at all because it's it's really the pass attempts and then like for Javante, Melvin Gordon's still there and he's still good enough to take a 50-50 split. It just kind of everyone's lowering each other's ceilings on this offense. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Like, like for Javante, we said last week that um, for his profile, seeing his uh, usage, you just said he tied for the lead in targets. Like his usage has been pretty, pretty good. Like even in a split, like his receiving usage is really encouraging. If he can ever take over more, there's definite, definite upside. Like where, where people, if someone thinks like he's just a two down guy or something, uh, it's worth like prying him away probably there's very little people that think that i would think but he has bell cow upside like the same way that we all liked uh cam Akers after last year is the same reason we, reason we should like uh javante williams right now yeah i think and especially because we're seeing him even with like lesser snaps than like a bell cut role obviously we're seeing yeah. him get a lot of targets which is really good to see so javante is someone who melvin gordon's not there it's wheels up yeah, just on like a per route basis, Javante Williams is looking pretty, pretty good in their like their receiving department. It's like right next to like Austin Eckler and Najee Harris, to Alvin Kamara in like targets per route run, which is terrific. Next game, the Bucks against the Saints. Brady is on pace for the most pass attempts in NFL history, which obviously is helped by the 17, uh, 17th game, but it helps every single receiver. Elite UB play plus three terrific wide receivers can all be wide receiver twos or better, even if they do take away the ceiling for each, for each other. We saw the ceiling in like the games where Antonio Brown was out, but when they're all healthy, they can all be wide receiver twos or better, especially in such a good offense that scores a lot. But Gronk is uh, elite in the red zone. He saw like he has he had five red zone targets in two and a half games, and Brayton and OJ Howard have seen some decent red zone targets. Well. Gronk's been out, so Brady's looking at the tight ends when he's in the red zone, so they can still lead. Even with uh, Gronk probably being the fourth option, I think he can still be uh, like a top. He uh, he has top five upside just because of a lot of touchdowns and a really good offense. 
and he's probably just a tight end one regardless of all that. Whole team didn't run much this last last week, so don't worry about Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette still had a 12% target share, which is in line with this whole season and in line with his uh, bell cow uh, usage this year. Yeah, Fournette just gets RB1 usage again and again and again, so he's going to be likely an RB1 rest of the season. Um, for the New Orleans Saints, they did lose Jameis Winston, which is pretty tough for the team, but Simeon came in. He, he was Marcus or Trevor Simeon, but it kind of affected Alvin Kamara, who has a 20.3% target share in the season, only at 11.4% in week eight. I mean, that's, that's likely going to increase because – you know, you have a week with Alvin Kamara to get him the ball or to plan to get him the ball, which is something they've clearly done, especially with the lack of weapons they have. But lack of weapons, I, w- I do want to say Marcos Callaway, who's definitely someone that you should have been selling at the beginning of the offseason, but that doesn't mean that he's bad per se. An 18.1% target share and a 1.46 yards per team pass attempt isn't bad, but when you could sell like a ceiling of wide receiver three for like an early second or something like that at the beginning of the season, you definitely should have been doing it, but that doesn't mean that Marcus Kelly is bad. He's been better than I expected a little bit, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a low ceiling, especially when we have actual receivers return like Michael Thomas, but yeah, he's not bad. It's just, it's a weird lack of weapons that the New Orleans Saints have right now. And especially with the QB decision or not QB decision, but like who the QB is kind of like up in the air right now and lack of options or uh, weapons. It's pretty, pretty weird to see. Yeah. At the beginning, uh, not beginning at the like middle of the season, like said, Marcus Callaway is like, he's not probably, he's probably not going to be like a producer, a regular producer for fantasy or a guy that you ever target in your redraft leagues or ever draft pretty highly in dynasty startups. But he is like, um, like Tim Patrick or something, or like Keelan Cole in Jacksonville, where he can be serviceable wide receiver production He's better in reality than he is fantasy, and that's just because he is uh he can be useful to teams, and there's reason to keep him around. So there's some like sticking power. He's um a, he's fine depth at wide receiver just because when he's seeing when he steps into opportunity like this, like same way Patrick has done, he can give you like RB three or four numbers. Yeah, uh, I agree. With that. Three or four numbers. Next game we have the Dallas Cowboys uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it was nice to see Cooper Rush like just step in and perform well, but on the whole, for fantasy, CeeDee Lamb had a 19% target share in the game, 22.4% on the year. The peripherals aren't as good as the production right now. He's being he's being like overproductive, and I think that's um like that the target share isn't like matching up with his uh, key trade cut price either. So I, he's a pivot for me. He's not like a must sell just because he's probably uh, wide receiver one, but like if you can pivot to uh, AJ Brown or DK Metcalf, I would. And if you can get something added on to Tara McLaurin or DJ Moore, then I think that's another pivot that you can make. His like is uh, weighted opportunity share, weighted opportunity rating. It was the same as Amari Cooper in this game. Like he's not taking over games the same way those other wide receivers do. He's not like he's, we know he's like technically a beta, but he is a, a really good beta, but. He just doesn't take over games the way those other wide receivers do. Yeah, he is a really good beta. He's just he's producing like a really good beta. Twenty two point four percent target share in the season. He did have uh, in this last week a nineteen percent target share to Cooper's. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was substantially how thirty one percent. I have it right here. So yeah, I mean he's a really good beta. 
but he's likely someone right now that's just continually overpriced by a bit. Zeke on the season has an 11% target share, 63% of the running back opportunities. It's a mid RB1. Schultz is still like a mid tight end one. And Gallup, I don't know what to make of the like offense, especially Dalton Schultz when Gallup is back, but I think Schultz is going to be uh, the ahead in the pecking order, and Gallup's like a wide receiver three or four. Really just stashing Gallup or like buying for uh, a, a second or like two thirds, or like get give a second, get Gallup in a third, uh, stash him for depth, and hope that he leaves in free agency and gets to a better situation, or. Mark Cooper leaves and Gallup plays as their wide receiver too, just because right now it's not very conducive to fantasy points. But we know he's still a good receiver. Yeah, I agree with you there. And then looking at Minnesota, it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar that uh, Kirk Cousins is having the best season of his career, at least passing the ball in 88.8 PFF passing grade, which if he finishes the season around that would be the highest of his career, which it's good to see. We had a banged up Justin Jefferson week eight, so – Thielen kind of need to step into that alpha role. He did have a 26.5% target share. And then Conklin needed to step up a bit, and he had a 20.6% target share. So with J.J. banged up, they did they did step up a bit. And then Dalvin Cook in this one, 72.4% uh, of the ops with 8.8% of the targets. That's, that's good usage, and especially with Cook's talent, that's clearly really good usage. Just like to see a little bit more targets, which he will because he's Dalvin Cook. Yeah, that sounds viable. That sounds viable. The uh, New York Giants game was a very weird one. Shepard got hurt throughout the middle of the game. Galladay was inactive. Tony got banged up, left for a little bit. Tony Bennett was banged up coming into the game with an ankle injury. He only ran 45% of the routes. Um, but he had like he, he had a target on like around 30% of his routes, which is interest which is uh, encouraging, but obviously it's a low sample size of routes just because he only ran 45% of the routes, but Booker had 68% of the routes and all of the RB carries, and that makes him a must-start as long as Saquon Barkley is out. Like His usage has been good week to week, and sometimes, like last night, he'll just see a bunch of checkdowns, and that'll get you like 14-plus points in fantasy, even if he's not rushing very well, which he's an, he's an average rusher. Shepard had uh, 50. He had a, a target, like, every other route before leaving the game on like 50% of the targets per route um, before leaving the game. I'm still buying low on Evan Ingram, whose career target share is uh, around 20% entering the year, a free agent after this year. The start to the year hasn't been very good for him, but he's been decent. He's been okay, and it's uh, pretty good usage. Just like the same way we've seen him in the past use more as a wide receiver in the slot or out wide, not as much in line which is great because it's really good for fantasy. And I think that a team is not going to like pay up to sign him, but gives him a decent, like a, a two year deal or something to be a good tight end for them. And if he's, uh, if he acts as like a top two uh, option for a team, he has top five upside yet again. I mean, we know that he was tight end six in his rookie season and uh, tight end six ish in points per game in the two seasons where he got hurt halfway through. So there's definitely some good upside where the price is sinking lower and lower because there's like narratives around drops or narratives around production and the production hasn't been as good this year, but it's still a buy. Yeah. And buy Saquon Barkley too. That's yeah. What I'm saying. Still buy Saquon Barkley. Uh, as far as Kansas city, it is pretty weird to see Kansas city like this because we're just so used to them being that generational offense. 
Um, and I don't think it's out of the question that they'll get back to being a generational offense. I mean, we might harp on it week after week until it actually happens, but they gave us a sample size of them two plus years of them being a generational offense to where you should probably believe that they're a generational offense, despite eight, eight games in the 2021 season, which Mahomes has a 54.1, a 62.9, 64.3, and a 60.5, and now a 54.9 PFF grade this season. That's just really weird to see from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it literally makes his overall, in terms of PFF passing grade, a 70.3, which is even worse than a 76.3 rookie season. So really weird stuff. And even even in the targets, we saw this last week, he'll get 40.9% of them, and then Kelsey and 15.9% of them which isn't what we're used to seeing when Kelsey's usually the alpha. And especially on the season, Kelsey has a 28 or Hill has 28%. Kelsey has a 22%. It's, it's pretty weird to see. Um, I think it'll, I, I would be willing to bet it'll adjust itself out and that Patrick Mahomes isn't this bad of a quarterback because he's shown us that he's the QB one for the past however many years it is. Yeah. But just to hit one more thing on the, the chief side, there's a lot of people freaking out about Clyde Edwards-Alaire because Williams has done this. So who knows if Clyde Edwards-Alaire will get his job back or Derek Gore. So it's it's pretty weird to see because Clyde Edwards-Alaire was still drafted in the first round. He had a 10% target share as a rookie. And then before he got hurt, he had a 5%. They just weren't targeting the running backs. And then we have Williams and Gore come in, and they're actually getting production. Like on the season now, Williams, who is below 5%, like – at the time, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a 5% target share and was the highest RB. Now we see Daryl Williams, 7.4%. We've seen McKinney get targets at times. Uh, we even saw Gore get some targets. So I think when Clyde Edwards-Alaire come back, Clyde Edwards comes back, it's still this team. They're not going to relegate the first-round running back they drafted to the bench, who really hasn't been like that terrible. He's just overpriced in fantasy last year. So people are just kind of totally spinning it the other way now to where now he's a buy because he's going to come back. He's going to get his job. It's hard not to see him getting more targets than he did when he left, especially considering it was half of what he got as a rookie in terms of percentage. So, yeah, by Clyde edwards Lair. Yeah, if no one – if absolutely no one – everyone in your league has um, a tw- like a first-rounder in 2022 and 2023 and even 2024, unless they've traded. But every single one, if no one bites on Michael Carter for that, if, if you're selling Michael Carter – Sell him for Clyde Edwards-Alaire because they're right there in price, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire is basically like uh, Michael Carter with more job security and better upside. Agreed, definitely agree there. And uh, for for Hill, I said last week, like uh, for the first time in his career, Hill has uh, more targets than Kelsey. So when their offense isn't as good, it's not like it's not blowing anyone out of the park the way uh, what Ty- Tyreek Hill is doing because he's. He's producing similar to what he's done in the past, even though the offense hasn't been as good and Mahomes hasn't been as good. But if slash when Mahomes and this offense bounces back to being generational, you, you're going to see Terry Kill go absolutely insane. Like the same way he did in like week one, he's he can go absolutely insane. We know he has tremendous upside week to week and for the rest of the season. So I don't know. He's another terrific win now by the same way that Devontae Adams is. Just because like, Going from go, he sees an alpha target share, and we know how good he is on like a per target basis, year to year. That that about wraps it up. I think. You have any other comments? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. Final comment is uh, go buy Saquon Barkley, go buy Christian McCaffrey, 
Uh, that about wraps it up. Thank you for listening, watching see the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead, hit like, hit subscribe, go ask comments in the questions because we're gonna we're gonna start answering. So we're gonna answer some comments. Whatever you guys want to ask is about usage, about trades, about dynasty value. You can ask us whatever you want. If you're listening on any like Spotify, Apple Music, uh, follow the follow the Bulletproof Fantasy Football channel on that there and download the other episodes of the thing leave a review if you want if you think that we're good or if you want to leave a review and say that we're bad i i can't stop you from doing that so other than that just enjoy the rest of your day or your night and goodbye have a good one